633 domestic COVID cases were added to the tally on Wednesday. 302 of them were infections reported by hospitals on the day, while 331 were retroactively added to case numbers from the previous days. Taiwan also reported 11 COVID deaths, a new single-day high, and they involved people between 59, 50 and 79 years old. Seven of them had chronic illnesses. Also on Wednesday, the Central Epidemic Command Center announced new, tougher COVID restrictions. Let's hear from CECC Chief Health Minister Chen Shizhong. We will reinforce our Level 3 alerts. We will gradually introduce strengthened measures and announce them as they come. First, masks must be worn outside the home at all times, and violators will be fined immediately without a verbal warning. Next, tough inspections will be conducted on all entertainment venues that have been ordered to close, and violators will face strict penalties. I want to point out that the penalties will not only go to the business operator, but also the staff, customers and people gathered at the venue. After all, if nobody wanted to go, the venues wouldn't be open. Food and drink establishments nationwide will only be allowed to provide takeout. Stores and supermarkets must implement stricter crowd control measures and real name registration. We also call on people to take fewer shopping trips and to buy more things in one go. Buy enough so that you don't have to take many trips. Wedding banquets may not be held and public memorial services may not be held. Religious events must be suspended entirely and places of worship shall close for the time being. By now, the virus has spread to every city and county in Taiwan except the outlying islands of Penghu and Jingmen. Looking back at the case counts so far, COVID numbers peaked on May 17th with 526 cases. Since then, there's been a slight downward trend. CECC officials say that the outbreak does not appear to be worsening, but whether it's improving remains to be seen. Taiwan's level 3 COVID alert was extended to June 14th on Tuesday, and experts say more extensions could be coming. NTU Children's Hospital Superintendent Huang Liming says level 3 could last into the summer. Li Bingying, an advisor to the Central Epidemic Command Center, says the alert should stay in place until Taiwan's COVID case count drops to below 30 a day. With hospitals in Greater Taipei strained to a breaking point, experts say they're not optimistic about the current situation. The CECC has extended Taiwan's Level 3 COVID alert to June 14th. A CECC advisor said Wednesday that the alert shouldn't be lifted until there's clear improvement in the epidemic. Before we lower the pandemic alert level, I'd want to see a gradual decline in COVID spread, an obvious decline. The second thing is that the daily number of confirmed cases should return to the double digits. Looking back on the case counts over the last two weeks, since peaking on May 17th, viral spread has been on a slight decline. But CECC Special Advisor Lin Bingying said that besides a clear downward trend, other conditions should be in place before lowering the alert. These include a daily case count of no more than 30 a day, he said. In addition, the r naught value should drop to less than 1, meaning that each existing infection causes less than one new infection. At present, Taiwan is far from reaching those standards. 
Experts predict that Taiwan's level three alert will last beyond June 14th. It's possible that the alert will last into the summer vacation because actually very few people in Taiwan have been exposed to the virus and so most people don't have antibodies. So anywhere this virus goes, it will have the potential to spread quickly. With the virus having spread to nearly every city and county, experts say there may now be undetected household spread, which could set the stage for a second COVID surge. Former Health Minister Yang Zhiliang said it may be a long while before Level 3 drops to Level 2. There are more than 100 cases with an unknown source of infection spread out across Taiwan. So we should count ourselves very lucky if we can curb the spread by the end of this year. Meanwhile, amid the spike in demand for COVID testing and care, hospitals in Greater Taipei say they're strained to a breaking point. The trajectory of the outbreak will become clearer in the coming week, but experts say they're not optimistic. Officials say COVID patients in Greater Taipei will start being transferred to hospitals in the south for treatment. The policy comes as hospitals in northern Taiwan struggle with an influx of local COVID cases. Medical centers outside of Greater Taipei are asked to reserve one-tenth of their beds for COVID patients, plus another 20 beds for intensive care. This medical care issue affects the entire island. All of Taiwan is one, so they might be relocated to central or southern Taiwan. That's all possible. Regional command officials will cooperate with the Emergency Operations Center to ensure maximum efficiency as hospital beds are arranged. There is extreme anxiety right now over the state of our medical capacity in Taipei and New Taipei. However, our medical system has absolutely not collapsed. Now is the time for us all to proactively prepare for battle. I often say that we are all one on this island. No one is an outside party to this situation. So with regard to this plan to send patients from the north to the south, we are extremely willing to help and we will help. We're working together with the central government. Hospitals are reducing the amount of inpatients and the relevant beds are being emptied out. In addition, COVID patients with mild or no symptoms will start to be transferred to enhanced quarantine centers in central and southern Taiwan. Should they develop severe symptoms during quarantine, they'll be transferred to local medical centers for care. The central government has agreed to let Jingmen, Penghu and Matsu set up COVID testing sites to screen airport arrivals. The Central Epidemic Command Center said testing must be strictly voluntary, offered only if the arrivals meet certain risk assessment criteria. The decision came after Jingmen put up a screening station without prior approval, saying that all arrivals must have a negative COVID test result before entering the island. The CECC had swiftly nullified the policy and said that all entry and exit restrictions must be set by the central government. Jinmen County Commissioner Yang Zhenwu tries out a disinfection archway in the arrivals lounge at Jinmen Airport. He says he's pleased with the setup and even more pleased about the COVID test station that's finally up and running. Yang posted about it on Facebook, writing that the central government had responded to his request for a test station in good faith. He said that as COVID kept spreading, containment was his top priority. He said he was happy to receive good news from the central government, which initially rejected his plan to have COVID test sites at the airport.
Yang announced last Sunday that all arrivals at Jinmen would need to provide proof of a negative PCR test taken within three days of their departure. Those without would have to get a rapid test at the airport. The announcement was swiftly repudiated by the central government. But after negotiations, the Taiwan CDC agreed to let the island counties of Jinmen, Penghu and Matsu provide rapid tests to arrivals willing to take one. Over these past two days, we have made it clear that whenever there is a central epidemic command center, all epidemic prevention measures must be coordinated by the CECC head. The local heads of the island counties are aware of these rules and they know that such regulations must be set by the central government. But with one issue resolved, another has arisen. KMT legislator Chen Yuzhen, who represents Jinmen, says that testing on the outlying islands won't be enough to keep COVID out. She says the travelers should be tested right on Taiwan proper before boarding their flight. Say that you land in Jinmen and you get tested, and the test comes out positive. Jinmen doesn't have sufficient medical resources. We don't have enough negative pressure isolation wards. Would we have to make arrangements to send the patient back to Taiwan proper for treatment? During the flight, everyone on the plane is in an enclosed space and in contact with one another. Doesn't this also pose a big risk? The correct way to deal with this would be to set up the rapid testing stations on Taiwan proper. For example, at Songshan Airport, instead of pushing the front lines against COVID all the way to Jinmen. With COVID cases surging, the lawmaker is asking the CECC for rapid testing right at Songshan Airport. Home is where the school is, until June 14th at least. With schools closed down nationwide due to the pandemic, parents and teachers are discovering the unique challenges having kids learn from home. Let's hear from some of them. Right at home, it's a brisk workout for the kids. Ready, set, go. Off they go, sprinting across the living room. And then there's this little one who's helping out with dinner while nibbling on the dumpling dough. With school suspended until June 14th, parents are running out of ways to keep the kids entertained. I spend so much time taking care of my kid. It's been having a major impact on my work. Oh, you're awake. Mr. Dung can't even get through an interview without interruption, let alone an entire workday at home. Being stuck indoors is a big problem for his kid, he says. Getting some fresh air at the park and doing some outdoor activities with your children is a basic need, just like eating. It's preparing snack after snack and washing an endless pile of dishes. You get interrupted during work because maybe your kid comes in saying, Dad, Dad, what's wrong with my computer? He cracks a joke on the pains of parenting in a pandemic. Meanwhile, teachers say it's no walk in the park for them either. Even doing the roll call comes with problems. Teachers sometimes have to play detective. We asked them to show their face to us so that we can see where they are. There was one day when I discovered that two of the students' screens looked the same. It turned out one of them had gone to the other's house. So I told them that you can't go to classmates' houses at a time like this. School's out, but teachers are still trying to teach. To make it easier on everybody involved, Linko Senior High School has shortened class time by 10 minutes to allow for 20 minutes of recess. The school says it's well prepared to carry on remote teaching beyond June 14th. 
If the outbreak doesn't subside, we'll approach parents and students to inform them of whatever changes we make to the final evaluations. You can describe the situation in four words, disaster left and right. All schools have been suspended, but work is still on. Cram schools still have to pay rent and staff wages. These costs are putting a lot of pressure on cram school operators. Unable to operate, cram schools say they're facing big losses. As Taiwan comes together through these difficult times, cram school owners hope help will come in the form of a government bailout. U.S. de facto ambassador Brent Christensen gave his farewell speech over live stream on Wednesday, marking the end of a three-year tenure at the American Institute in Taiwan. During the speech, he hailed the Taiwan-U.S. relationship as rare and special and said he was confident it would continue to prosper under the Biden administration. And I can honestly say this assignment, serving as director of the American Institute in Taiwan, was my dream job. And my experience exceeded my expectations in every way. Christensen, whose term is about to end, gave a farewell speech via Facebook livestream. He discussed the progress in the U.S.-Taiwan partnership over the last three years. He said that besides making advancements on his four priorities, which include security cooperation and economic ties, he also facilitated the highest level U.S. official visits in 40 years those of then-Health Secretary Alex Azar and then-Under-Secretary of State Keith Kroc. The United States has, in turn, recognized Taiwan's growing capacity and invested more and more in this partnership. And I am confident that under the Biden administration, this pattern will continue. Let me tell you, having served at embassies and consulates around the world, it is truly a rare and special relationship that grows so dramatically year after year that does not stagnate and never seems to reverse course. Christensen expressed confidence in the future of Taiwan-U.S. relations. As his speech came to a close, he brought out a little surprise, a pineapple symbolizing support for Taiwan. Lately, the threats have felt relentless. But I think we can all remember a recent example of Taiwan demonstrating its resolve and unity in the face of bullying. Bullying that quickly backfired. He indicated that a united Taiwan could overcome Beijing's bullying. Earlier this year, a top U.S. military officer warned that China's threat to Taiwan was increasing and that an invasion could come within six years. During a Q&A press event on Wednesday, Christensen was asked how the U.S. viewed the Chinese threat. The United States strongly opposes PRC efforts to change the concentrate status quo and take advantage of the COVID pandemic to coerce and bully Taiwan and its neighbor. Uh, the United States will continue to fulfill its uh, obligations uh, under the, the Taiwan Relations Act and six assurances to support Taiwan. So. Amid Taiwan's surge in COVID cases, reporters asked Christensen about the possibility of the U.S. providing vaccines. He responded that the U.S. was still formulating its vaccine donation program. Recipient countries will be chosen based on the COVID positive rate, medical capacity, vaccination rate, and other metrics, he said. We are very confident of the ability of Taiwan's health authorities to contain this latest outbreak. I'd also point out that uh, many of Taiwan's neighbors in the region are also experiencing outbreaks, and Taiwan's infection numbers are still among the lowest. Continuing our discussions um, with Taiwan on this issue, we know that Taiwan's own vaccines will become available in the coming months, and uh, 
I can assure everyone that the, uh, we are engaging with uh, Taiwan. Christensen said he would encourage his successor to continue to expand the potential of Taiwan-U.S. relations. Although there has been no official confirmation, reports indicate that the next AIT director will be Sandra Adkirk, who is serving as U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. As Taiwan remains in the throes of COVID, the nation's blood banks are running low. The biggest scarcity of blood in 20 years has been caused by a steep drop in donor numbers. Politicians from both sides of the aisle have answered the call to roll up their sleeves, encouraging the public to do likewise. The whole of Taiwan is on level three COVID alert, and now blood banks are sounding the alarm too. The biggest shortage for 20 years is looming. The Taiwan Blood Services Foundation says blood bank reserves have dipped dramatically in recent weeks. On May 25th, there were only 5.5 days worth of blood in the bank. If it runs out, medical services will be compromised. Our blood donors have fallen by about 40 percent, so we've been unable to make up the shortage. In this period, Taipei City is more of an emergency zone. We sent about 1,200 bags of blood to the Taipei area from central Taiwan. We hope that people in non-hot zones will also come and donate blood as soon as possible. Politicians from all parties have already jumped to the call. KMT chairman Johnny Chang posted a photo of himself donating blood on Facebook, calling on healthy citizens to do the same. DPP lawmaker Zhao Tianling rolled up his sleeve as well. In my personal experience, the blood centers and blood donation vans are all doing COVID precautions very carefully. What's missing the most now is for people to come out and donate blood so that we can bounce back from this almost complete shortage in our blood banks. Blood banks have increased disinfection efforts and exercised real name registration. They offer pre-booked time slots so that the number of people indoors can be controlled and crowding minimized. They're also using cloud services to link donors to their NHI info, accessing relevant travel and medical history quickly and easily. Small eateries and food stall vendors have seen livelihoods hit hard by the latest COVID outbreak. The cabinet is hurrying to get a special budget passed in the legislature by the end of the month. If the bill is passed, the cabinet plans to give special assistance to those in the food service sector, as well as the self-employed and those without a fixed employer. The famous Nanjicheng night market lies quiet. Many food stalls have been driven to close because there's just nobody out and about. The lockdown has hit food vendors hard. Night market stalls can't operate. All that's left are some individual stalls on the outskirts. The cabinet wants to add 210 billion NT to the COVID bailout package for businesses, taking the total to 630 billion NT. The Ministry of Economic Affairs has also drawn up a new stimulus plan to prioritize service industries, including restaurants and food vendors. It will ask the cabinet for almost 40 billion NT. The process to apply for support will become simpler. 
The Ministry of Labor is also formulating new policies, which, if approved, may offer stimulus subsidies to the self-employed and those without a fixed employer. Of course, the government will do all it can to assist with this. We said from the start that the cabinet would have a set of measures of stimulus assistance, which will be announced in tandem across the executive yuan. Each department has begun to plan executive actions for the new wave of the stimulus plan. After they are approved by legislators, the cabinet will propose a special budget as rapidly as possible and carry it out swiftly to reduce the impact of the pandemic on the economy and people's livelihoods. We should be much more generous with the amount of money, the people who are eligible and the convenience of applying for support. That will meet the needs of the people better. Guo also spoke up specially for food stall vendors. These are very tough times for small businesses, and they need particular support to get through the crunch. Once again, Taiwanese karate athlete Wen Ziring has qualified for the Tokyo Olympics. Wen had already qualified for the women's 55-kilogram event in March 2020, but had to do it again after the games were postponed. In the most recent qualifier, Wen was locked in a neck-and-neck contest with Jana Messerschmidt of Germany. Before this month's European Championships, Wen had only a sliver of a lead of 860 points. The race was so close that if Messerschmidt had won gold at the tournament, Wen would have lost her shot at direct qualification. Fortunately for the Taiwanese athlete, Messerschmidt placed second, handing Wen her second ticket to Tokyo.